There is nothing higher, nothing greater to acquire. Holy, holy, holy is the song of the choir. Your people sing your praises. We're gathered from all the nations. We were chosen to be holy and blameless before the earth's foundation. And it's only on the basis of your glorious face that we will never grow tired of gazing upon your face and falling before your feet, worshiping at your throne. Your appearance is like carnelian and precious gemstones. Like nothing we've ever seen, your glory never fades. The Lamb of God who was slain to wash away sin's sin. We were ransomed by your blood, your loss was our gain. And you live forevermore, Lord, forever you will reign. The King of all kings, name above every name. And everyone who trusts in you will not be put to shame. Together in different places 
not just this space at this time. So, there you go. Now for this week. I don't think homosexuality is an abomination, Mr. President. The Bible does. Yes, it does. Leviticus 1822. Chapter and verse. I want to ask you a couple of questions while I have you here. I'm interested in some of my youngest daughter, slavery, your sanction in Exodus 21 7. She's a Georgetown sophomore, speaks fluent Italian, you always play the table when it's her turn. What would a good price for her be? While thinking about that, can I ask another? My chief of staff, William Gary, insists on working on the Sabbath. Exodus 35 2 clearly says he should be put to death. Am I morally obligated to killing myself, or is it okay to call the police? Here's one that's really important, because we've got a lot of sports fans in this town. Touching the skin of a dead pig makes one unclean, Leviticus 11-7. If they promise to wear gloves, can the Washington Redskins still play football? Can Notre Dame? Can West Point? Does the whole town really have to be together to stone my brother John for planting different crops side by side? Can I burn my mother in a small family gathering for wearing garments made from two different threads? Think about those questions, would you? One last thing. Well, you may be mistaken this for your monthly meeting. Ignorant title in this building where the president stands, nobody sits. So there it is. There's the question that we've been asking in the last three weeks. What do we do? With this rules. What do we do with the old covenant? Which ones apply? Which are the ones that we need to hold desperately to, strong to, and which are the ones that we can leave behind? Do we say it's all in the past? Or do we say it's in the Bible? So you have to hold on to it, hold on to everything, because if you don't, then nothing that the Bible says has any value. This has been the struggle. This has been part of the question that we've been looking at, are there just those two extreme positions? What did Jesus say about this? What does it move from the Old Covenant and into the New Covenant in a way that learns from God who gave us the Old Covenant? How do we focus on following Jesus if that is really our calling? What does it mean to follow Jesus in response to some of these things that are clearly biblical teaching? Well, Jesus helps us to unpack our whole lives, and we see that as we seek to pursue him first, the rest of the stuff becomes more clear than what Jesus has taught us, including how we read our own Bibles. We've been doing this whole series with the idea of point, looking at before and after photographs. This is what it looked like here, this is what it looks like here. We've been looking at the New Testament passages specifically where they hinge on the word but. There's a but that comes up. Today's the end. This is the last one. Today we talk about the but of belonging. What does it mean to be brought in? Having a place to belong in the family of God. And so to do that, I wanted to start by looking at the faith of Abraham. Previously we looked at Romans, okay? And a key part of that examination was, you know what, I forgot to tell you. You probably already know this already, but there's notes up there. There's notes over here if you'd like to follow along. There's notes on your website, your smartphone, if you like that too. Free app called UVersion. Look under live events. You can look up into one and you can follow along. 
in that. So we could be on the same page. Because we're going to use a, a number of passages of scripture today, and most of them are not going to be in your handout that you've got, just for the sheer space. We're going to put them up on the screen, but we're doing some Genesis, and we're doing some Ephesians. And we're going to look at before and after and put them together. Okay, so that's where we are. So Romans 1 17, this is sort of the idea of what we're looking at here. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. And so one of the ways that you can read that is to say, it's a faith from top to bottom. This is what it is. It also means that it's the way that God works from beginning to end. As in, faith is what we're all about. It's the whole package. But this is also the way God has always been. Beginning to end. That we're saying the same thing here. God didn't start with the law of Moses. He gets a lot of press time in the Old Testament with the law of Moses, but that's not his starting place. He started with faith. And faith is another word that means trust, a trusting relationship. That's where we end up with Jesus. But there's this time in the middle where the children of Israel were ruled by the law of Moses. But that was a subset of a greater scheme, the meta-narrative, the grand story, where God wants to have a trusting friendship with us. We get this in John 15, 15. Jesus, and he says, I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. What we're trying to say is that the new covenant Sounds very formal. It sounds very official. Sort of how the old covenant sounds. But the new covenant is really just friendship. That's what it is. There's a number of passages that we're going to look at. I wrote them down so you can check them later as well. Um, the first thing I want you to know is that God's goal has always been to bless all people of the earth. We're going to start in Genesis chapter 12, looking at verse 1. There's a story. Of Abram. So Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. His name here is Abram. Alright? As the story goes on, his name gets changed to Abraham. Same guy, two names that sound really, really similar. I'm giving you the heads up in the morning on that because sometimes I use them interchangeably. Because we talk about Abraham. Not a lot more than we talk about Abram. And Abram is a harder word to say than Abraham. So if I say Abraham, I mean Abraham and Abram. And if I say Abram, I mean Abraham and Abram. Okay, just so you know, that's the way it is. His story goes on. We're not going to look at the whole story, luckily for you. And so his name changes in the middle there, okay? So just be ready. If I accidentally slip up, please don't yell. Uh, Genesis chapter 12. On to verse 2. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. From the beginning, God's plan was that he would bless everyone. So how is he going to do this? God works through people to bless people. I'll bless you so that you can become a blessing. That's the plan. God is always in partnership with us all the time. Look at verse 3. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. Through Abram, God had the goal of blessing everyone on earth. God is in partnership with us. 
And that's a slow road. I don't know if you've ever had to work with you before, but sometimes you don't get it. Sometimes you need a refresher course. Sometimes you're a little bit slow on the uptake. But God has chosen to work this way. This way that is less efficient. This way that is tremendously less cost effective. But that's who God is. That's what he's like. And he sees us, he sees you as incredibly valuable. So you are always worth it. Relationship is the key. It's the heart of God. It's the heart of understanding God. It's the heart of how you relate and interrelate to each other. Relationship is what we come back to again and again and again. So here's what we're going to do. Okay? Yeah, we're going to build the great people of Israel. But the big picture, my long-term goal is to bless all people. God's word at the beginning for Abram is enough. At first. And this is where you see it isn't a covenant. Nothing signed, no paperwork. It's not, this isn't a covenant, it's just friendship. You flip over now from Genesis 12 to Genesis 15. <laughs> Genesis chapter 15. So the story is going on. He's already started the idea. God started to say, I've got promises for you. This is what I'm going to do for you, Abram. I'm already in motion doing this. Genesis 15, to get back to another place. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram and this is significant. Both in Genesis chapter 12 and Genesis 15, it starts by saying, the word of the Lord came to Abram. God just talks to him. They're communicating like friends. There's no covenant yet. God is just telling him something. And Abram is responding by trusting what God says, what his friend is saying. So look at this. We're going to look a little bit more. Genesis 15, 1 and 5. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abraham said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my state is out of the masses. And Abraham said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your... It's not how it says it. That's the way it works. This man will not be your heir, but a son is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up the sky and the stars and the deep of the capital. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. God reiterates, he says again, he brings back up that which he has already said. My promise. I promise you, this is what I will do. And then we get to verse 6. In this verse, like so many places in the Bible, it's a short verse and it seems very unassuming. If you're reading, it's just part of the flow, it's just the next thing. And if you've been around church for a while and you've heard this, this phrase or phrase like it, and you read over it, because you're just there, yeah, yeah, I know it. The greatest problem I think so often in the church is that we know it, right? And knowing it doesn't help us experience it, it just means that we switch it off. Yeah, yeah, I've heard that. It's not new information, but depth. Death is sometimes hard to come by. This is a hinge verse for all of humanity. This is one of those things that's incredibly important. It shows us something fundamental about God and how he wants to connect with us, how the relationship works. Genesis 15 says, Abraham believed the Lord and he credited, credited it. That's what I'm saying. Credited it to him as righteousness. That's the whole thing. 
If we trust God as word, God considers him righteous. That's it. He just believed God. The same word believe there is translated in other places as faith or trust, depending on the context. He trusted God. And God said, that's all I wanted. How long have we followed or what does God want? How do I follow God's will? What should I do? Oh my goodness, what rules do I have to get into? That's all he wanted. Just trust him. And he said, okay, I trust you. And God told that's right. My righteousness is not yours. I credit it all to you. That's the foundation of friendship. You're just brought in. It's not earned. You didn't pass a test. You didn't qualify, you're just Brian, as you are. The person that you are right now. It's really that simple. God takes care of the rest. This is all way before Jesus. But this is what Jesus does when he comes. He reminds us and reestablishes all of this that was there at the very beginning before the coming. But Abraham, he has some doubts and questions. And so that's where the story goes. Now, Abraham says something in Genesis 15, 8. He says, uh, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I'll be in possession? Give the promise, you trust, righteousness. Right away, right after his confession of faith, we get his confession of death. Now he begins to ask questions about it. Uh, <laughs> and when we read this, I think, wow. Abraham sounds more and more like me all the time. God, believe. Sure, let's go. Now, about going ahead, how's that all going to work out? When, when is that going to happen? How, how would we pay for that, God? I believe you, of course, but what will be the proof? He wants evidence. It's a bit less than fully trusting, but God accepts his faith. The faith that he saw right there he accepts our faith in the same way, even when it's mixed with doubt. Even when doubt is part of what the whole thing is, he meets us there. Doubt is not the opposite of faith. Doubt does not discredit faith. Doubt is sometimes a subcategory of faith. We come to God with our doubts, but we still move forward with them. God meets us, meets Abraham where he's at. God does not say, how dare you question me, Abraham, you mortal man? Do you know who I am beside before me? It's not like that at all. He says, okay, that's where your faith is right now? I will meet you there, at that place. I will work with you right there. And Abraham says, how can I know? And in verse 9, so the Lord said to him, Great, this is, if you're reading this, you're not going to necessarily think to yourself, I'm not really sure about how you're answering this question, but this is the answer, so bear with me. The Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. What is the proof that this is going to happen? Oh yeah, bring me some animals. You know what? What? What's going on here? But notice that once God calls for these animals, he gives no more instructions. As we read, you will not see God saying anything else about what he is to do. He 
He asks for the animals. Abram knows what to do. This is a familiar human ceremony. God is accommodating and using Abram's language. How do you know when something happens? This is what you do. So Abram knows this step. This is sacrificial language. I get it. What we're going to do is make a covenant. That's what you want. Is that it, God? Because that's what you do with animals. When you call them in like this, that's what you do. This is not God saying this is what you do with animals. This is Abram saying, oh, I get it. I know what you do with animals. At no point does God talk about the sacrifices, the instructions on how to kill the animal, how to prepare it properly, what to do with that. Your natural reaction is going to be, what's the matter? 
Can't you... What's the word? Can't you trust me? This is the same position that God is in right here. So just so we're clear, Abraham and God are friends. God declares him to be righteous before there was any blood spill. The covenant comes out of his doubt. The new covenant in Christ is like the anti-covenant. It is the new covenant that goes back to being friends with God. So it's the new, new old covenant. Right? Because it's really just starting what they started before, but we didn't have something else called that other one. So you go along in verse 10 now. Abraham brought all these two and cut them in two and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, did not cut them out. This is what would frequently happen in covenant. Both parties would then walk between the severed pieces of animal. You put them on there and you walk in between them. And what you're saying is this covenant that we have made, I agree, I will keep it. And I'm saying this as I walk through the dead animals, saying, if I break the covenant, then this is what should happen to me. I should die. If I break the covenant, I deserve what is around me. And if we did that, I'm telling you, that would change your mind about signing some of those papers that you signed. Signing some of those agreements that you said, yeah, yeah, whatever. I'll keep my will keep, it doesn't really matter. I think that would definitely change the way people felt about divorce if we had that as part of the marriage covenant. If I break this covenant, I will be cut in half. I would have a different feeling about divorce, not just my property, but me. The ends get pretty grisly pretty quickly, and it would change the way we felt about how serious we were. And this is what Abram is expecting to happen. But 17 says this, When the sun had set, and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. And if there was a reason to be, something weird. There'd be smoky, there'd be kind of odd feeling. What's going on? Is that, it's a symbol, okay? God is that symbol in that smoking firepot with a blazing torch. That's a symbol for God. God symbolically passes through the pieces. He never asks Abram to. In a covenant, both parties walk between. They meet and they pass through. God doesn't ask Abram to have anything to do with this. God is saying that I take full responsibility for this covenant. If the covenant is broken, that will require what? Death. If this covenant is broken, he doesn't say who breaks it. He just says if the covenant is broken, death will be required. God is saying, I will be killed if this covenant is broken. This story sounds fairly familiar. God sets up a covenant. He's the only one who's asked to have any responsibility by his own choice, he says, I will carry the full weight if this covenant is broken, and he knows he's not going to break it. He knows that it's going to be broken, and he knows that he won't break it, and he knows that the only way to uh, deal with the broken covenant is through death, and so at the very beginning of this, he says, I know what I will do. I will have to die. That's all happening in this moment. 
18 says, On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. The Hebrew is the Lord cut a covenant. Because cutting and death were always involved in making a covenant. You don't break one, you cut one. You cut the animals up. That's what it means. He met Abram where he was at. Then one day, generations later, God would cut another covenant with humanity by blood being spilled. And in that, the point was that they would go back to be friends. And at this time, we jump generations ahead. Everyone was clearly divided. Divided in all kinds of ways. But the church was definitely divided between Jews and Gentiles. For those of you who don't know, Gentile is just someone who's not Jewish. Sometimes you use it as a word that kind of sounds mean. It's not, it just means not Jewish. So I guess that most of us here are Gentiles, right? We're just not Jewish. But in that culture, it meant you're not Jewish. And so you're on the other side. You don't get in. So now we jump back to Ephesians 2, if you read before, we're going to jump in at verse 11. Therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised, called uncircumcised not as in physically this is who you are, but spiritually this is what you are, and I say it with a tilt of my head, position of my nose is important, and I say it with a measure of disdain. The uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done by the body of human hands. Remember that at the time, you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. That's who you were. Without, without, without. But now. But. The big but. That's what things were. That's the before picture. That's what it used to be. You were excluded. You were on the outside. When they called you the uncircumcision, that's what you are. You are the uncircumcised. You are not like them. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law of his commands, and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two being created into one. Thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their facility. He came and he preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. But now, whatever has been built up to make you feel second class, to make you feel like you right now are on the outside looking in, whatever the wall was, it has been crashed down. We'll build it again. I'm sure we will. But when we return to Jesus and repent, and we work in partnership with him again, we can disassemble the wall again. We have a way of liking to build those walls. Through Christ, the way of simple, trusting friendship, known as the original Abrahamic covenant, it's offered to all people. 
God's promises are fulfilled. Religious, ethnic, nationalistic, dividing laws are crushed, and we are brought together into one new human family. So what in your life has you feeling like you are on the other side of the game? What has made you feel like the Gentiles in the past? What has put you behind a wall that keeps you from connection to God? What has operated as a divine wall for you? We all have it. We all have something that feels like it's holding us back. If I could just, I can't get around that. It's in my way. Maybe it was uh, painful childhood memories. Things that happened. Something that makes you feel like you'll never be part of the cool kids, the in crowd, the insider. Was there an experience? Something that happened that feels like I can never get around that? Is there a sin, yours, somebody else's, to you? Is it a broken relationship that says I just can't get close to God? Somebody is saying that I can't get as close to Him as I would like. Is it your gender? Is it your age? Your ethnicity? Could be your body type? Perhaps an illness or, or a disability? Maybe it's a marital status. Could be a bad habit or a negative effect with you. Something you maybe privatized and kept secret from for years. You don't want anyone to know about. So that even when someone says to you, God loves you and he accepts you, you say, not right now. Not with the secret that I'm keeping. Whatever that thing is that you were thinking of, whatever that thing is that you say, that's still mine and I've got it and there's nothing I can do, that is the wall that Jesus came to crush for you. So that you would have no question anymore. You have a place of belonging. You have been chosen. He accommodates you where you are. Always calling you to what you can be. But accommodating you now. So as we close this part, I want you to think about something. I want us to prepare, to participate. Because we have a habit of being in church, and we do a very good job of saying this instead of listening. But to be in the church, we have to participate. And so I want to make some declarations today. Because I have found a great value in declaring something. Not thinking in my head, wrestling around and trying to decide whether or not really we really. To say it out loud and to hear yourself say it, to know that you are saying these things, that this truth is yours. It makes a difference to say it out loud. So what I wanted you to do, we're going to use that little section that's at the bottom of the handout there. It's in the new version notes. It's going to be up on the screen. I want you to remind yourself of something that's true. You, each individual, you are the church. You are the bride of Christ. You are chosen. And hear this part very clearly. You belong. And I'm not talking just about this church, although I will say you belong here. You belong in the fellowship of Christ. There is not something that needs to hold you outside. You belong. The wall was broken for you. 
And one of the steps on this road trip to pursuit of Jesus uh, is identifying with him. And many of us have found there is a measure of belonging that comes through obedience to the step of baptism. So I would ask, have you been baptized? We'd love to celebrate that step with you. We would love to provide you a landmark of belonging for you in that way. We would love to be able to do that together. If you're interested in that, I'd love to talk to you more about that. We're not going to really focus on baptism here, to be honest. This is one of the ways to help you know that you belong. Drop me a note. Put it on the, the notes where you got in your note. Drop it in the box over here. Come and talk to me after this. Let's talk about baptism. If you haven't done it, let's get it done. But for all of us, for all of us, let's try this. You see that formula? It has some license. And the way this works is you say your name, and you already know it, so you can fill that part in easily. And then that thing, that thing you're dividing wall. And I realize you don't want to write down because you want to drop your paper and somebody buys it. But that thing that you say that holds me out, I want you to be able to identify that. So you can say, I can say, you know what? My name is Rand, and I am Right? It's one of those things. You know, it's identifiable thing I can say. Maybe that has a place that holds uh, separation from you. And that's what I want us to do is to be able to read this and say them out loud. <laughs> but I want you to be kind to each other. I want you to say your name, I am, and then, and I am, mumble, mumble, mumble. Okay? You're going to know what you're saying. There's going to be movement, but no one else needs to know what you're saying. What you are going to do is care for each other in this way and humble it. But identify something. I am this person, and this is what I am. I sense that this is what's keeping me back. Bring it to life. Don't let it live in a shadow anymore. And in this, what we're saying is, God, heal me. God, deliver me. God, remind me and assure me that I belong because you broke down those dividing walls. How can we ever be made into one if we keep holding ourselves out of the process? So, take a second. Figure out how you're going to fill those blanks in. Remember, we will mumble together. In honesty before God, mumble together. Because I think that there's value in saying those things. And then we'll go on and read the rest of the statements that come up. Okay? So on three, we'll start with our names, and then we're going to go into the mumble mode. My name, oh, I count three, I forgot. <laughs> one, two, three. My, My name, name is Kelly. Kelly. I, I am the <laughs> Yours are much shorter than mine. <laughs> I'll tell you that. More important, continue. And I am welcomed by God into this ceremony. I am surrounded by the brothers and sisters who are here for me. And I am in communion with the one who created me. God, I pray that you would drive this truth deep. We Belong. We came so that we would 
your mom. You came so that we could be free. Sing it into us today that we might be able to leave this place different, knowing that even as we are, we are accepted and we belong. Keep working on us. We're not done. We know Be patient. Keep going. Keep the work. Thanks. In Jesus' name. Together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know that this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Be blessed in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You may be seen. Happy Mother's Day. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for celebrating together. You belong, and I'm glad you're here.